evening. I'm glad to welcome you to a new study that we're starting this evening, uh, which is Battling Depression, Anxiety, and Fear with Gospel Truth. So Wes, I'm excited to begin this new study. Yeah, I am as well. And it might it might seem odd to even use the term excited. I was thinking about that even in introducing a study like this. But I think it is exciting in one sense for us to understand that God's Word has much to say to us about how we deal with some of the challenging aspects of our life, our life in this world, in the flesh. And so I am also excited as we discuss some of these topics. Yeah. Why do you think that a discussion about battling depression, anxiety, and fear with the power of the gospel, why do you think that's a timely study right now? Well, it's been an amazing 2020 so far. Uh, we've had some extraordinary circumstances we're all aware of with the pandemic, COVID-19 forcing individuals to shelter at home with devastation on uh, the economy. Obviously, certain lives have been directly impacted by having loved ones get the disease and even many people around the world dying. So that's a very sobering thing. And just the awareness of a, of a contagion that for which there's no cure can press in on people's minds and hearts. And so it is something that people are dealing with. On top of all of that, we've had the recent events with George Floyd's death. And with, again, this is not a new thing, but something that keeps coming up again and again, questions of, of police matters, of brutality, excessive use of force, um, leading to questions of systemic racism. Those uh, have boiled over into uh, into protests, peaceful protests, and then not so peaceful. And so it's been a tremendously stressful time. And then at the individual level, we're aware that people through sheltering at home feel isolated. They feel lonely, especially singles mm -hmm. that are feel very lonely and disconnected. We've not been able to gather in church. So I think it is timely, but we also need to realize, let's be honest, that dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety and fear has been with God's people since Bible times. That's why there's so many verses that are helpful. People were dealing with it back then. Every generation has to deal with this. So it is timely at every level. Yeah. Now, one of the words or concepts that we used even in introducing our time this evening was the idea of battling these things. Why would you use the concept of battling? How is this a fight? Okay, it is a fight. It's a, it's a different kind of a fight. But we have got to fight for our mental sanity when feelings of depression, let's say, come over us and they start to press in. It's almost like a, a bully that's wanting to beat us up. We think about Pilgrim's Progress, the allegory of the Christian life. And I think the worst thing that Christian ever went through in, in the entire allegory was when he was seized by the giant despair, which is just another way of talking about depression, and dragged into Doubting Castle and beaten up again and again by a merciless ogre who keeps then foisting articles of suicide on him and hopeful, uh, poison, a rope, a dagger, so that they can do away with themselves, murder themselves, they say. And so there's a sense of violence being done to your heart, to your soul, by the depression. You've got to stand up and fight. You can't lay down and die. You can't just give in. And so there's a there's a battling, there's a fighting that you have to do for your own uh, peace of mind. Same thing with anxiety. You've got to wrestle with your thoughts, like the, the psalmist says, mm -hmm. to wrestle and not be overcome, but to be overcomers. 
uh, and the same thing with fear. So there's definitely a battle to be fought. Yeah, one of the passages that I think about uh, deals with our weapons not being uh, those of this world, right, where we fight against flesh and blood, but actually spiritual weapons. And then Ephesians talks uh, about this as well. How do you see Satan's hand in, in causing, bringing about depression, anxiety, and fear in God's people? I very much believe this may actually be, I've taught this before, I think this is Satan's top priority mm. for the people of God, is to bring us to a spirit, a, a state of spiritual depression. Because I believe that even the sins that he tempts us to and the accusations he, he is laying on us tend toward that end. So I picture spiritual depression, a state in which you are lying prostrate prostrate on the ground, prostrate on the ground, and you are stripped of energy, you're stripped of hope. The, uh, the armor that God gave you mm -hmm. to defend yourself against Satan is laying strewn around you, you've not put it on, mm -hmm. and you're at his mercy. You are no threat to his dark kingdom. And, and so he has deceived you, and instead Paul uh, says in Ephesians 6 that we should be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And that we should put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers. There's demonic forces that are pressing in on us and making us spiritually depressed or anxious or fearful. And I think this is something Satan really wants to do. So I do see it in terms of spiritual oppression and assault, though that's not all. There's other features as well. And I think this battle takes place in any aspect of our life, right? Yeah, I was just even thinking about what precedes uh, that passage about spiritual warfare in Ephesians, dealing with all of the ways we ought to live as husbands, wives, children. There's all of these uh, aspects of our life that are affected by sin and by Satan, but an opportunity then for us to be strong in the Lord in the face of that opposition. Yeah, I think Satan, Satan knows he's going to lose if the church of God, the people of God, put on their armor, mm. stand up, take the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, move out in the power of the Holy Spirit and preach the gospel, he loses. Mm. And so he's got to deceive us before any of that happens into not even trying. Yeah. And that's that spiritual depression where he strips us of hope, strips us of energy and strength and lays us down and we're no threat. So if we can see Satan's hand in causing these things, how is it then much to God's glory for Christians to gain victory over these three issues, depression, anxiety, and fear? Well, I believe that God is greatly glorified whenever we Christians live out energetically our hope based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. When we are radiant, buoyant, energetic with hope, God is glorified. God's attributes are put on display mm. because all of God's attributes can be seen at the cross. And when we think about glorifying God, what that means is to put God on display in detail, put his love and his mercy and his power on display. We Christians do that best when we're filled with hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it is much to God's glory for us to, to throw off our enemies that are grabbing and wrestling and choking uh, those spiritual enemies and to rise up filled with hope and to live uh, obviously filled with hope, even when things are tough, like 2020, like this year, even when things are, are oppressive and difficult, for us still to be filled with hope makes people wanna ask us to give a reason for the hope that we have, as we said many times before. So it is much to the glory of God for us to be triumphant over you know, depression, anxiety, and fear. I love that idea of buoyancy. You used that even 
this past Sunday in your sermon on First Corinthians 13, talking about the way love is that way as well. Yeah. These characteristics. Yeah. yeah. And and part of the fruit of the Spirit at work in us is that it produces these things. And so when we're facing these challenges, it's an opportunity for us to really ask that that would be evidenced, that yeah. God would be put on display through the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Yeah, Paul said this often, you know, he said, we, we're struck down, but we're not in despair. Mm. We rise up, uh, we're here the next day, filled with the Spirit, ready to go. So I actually, I don't think this could happen, but I'd like to make Satan filled with despair. You know, <laughs> looking around, it's like, I can't keep these people down. Mm. They just keep mm. rising up, keep, they keep finding that God's mercies are new every morning, mm. and they keep doing me damage. Yeah. So, um, but I don't know what he's thinking, that's his business. All I'm saying is it is just to the glory of God for us to be triumphant. So as with anything, I think definitions are helpful. It helps us know kind of what we're talking about, make sure we're all on the same page when we're using certain terms. So let's just start with the first one that we mentioned, depression. How would you define depression? Well, I've been following some works. We'll talk about the books I've looked at, but mm -hmm. one of the, a little booklet by, written by Edward T. Welsh doesn't so much describe it, but he just, uh, or defines it, but he describes it. And then he gets into some more technical definitions. But listen to this description. You feel numb, yet your head hurts empty yet inside there are screams fatigue yet fears abound things that were once pleasures now barely hold your attention your brain feels like it's in a fog you feel weighed down you used to have goals in life lots of them but now you have very few goals making it through the day seems like enough but every day is the same there's no rhythm of rising anticipation satisfaction then rest each day brings a dreadful monotony and you fear that tomorrow will be the same as today. The flatness of life is killing you. Sleep, it's a mess. You can't get enough, but you don't remember what it feels like to wake up refreshed. The world has become dreary, overcast skies, dull and colorless. So that's what it feels like. And then you would add, perhaps to the mix, chronic. This has been going on a while. This isn't just today or the last two days. It's been going on for a while. Um, also, he says that we should not think of depression as a binary, I have it or I don't have it. Uh, it's more of a continuum, like a dimmer switch, uh, really darkness dimming, not, not getting brighter and brighter, but darker and darker. You could picture it that way. On the one side, on the lowest end, it's bothersome, it's irksome, it's there, but you're dealing with it all the way down to paralyzed, debilitated, perhaps even suicidal. So that's the, the extreme. Uh, the American Psych Psychiatric Association has different technical definitions for depression. We can talk about these more maybe in the future. Um, but it says that it gives indicators and looks at if you have five or more of these and you've had them for a two week period or longer, such as feeling sad or empty, a markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or most of life's activities, significant weight loss or gain when you've not been dieting, it's just your body's changing, insomnia or hypersomnia, either, either can't sleep or you're sleeping all the time, mm -hmm. nearly every day, fatigue, loss of energy, nearly every day, feelings of worthlessness or excessive guilt, not really connected, you just have this vague, strong feeling of being worthless or being guilty diminished ability to concentrate, recurrent thoughts of death. These are some of the indicators. Yeah, that idea of the, the chronic nature, and even in that very technical definition, kind of saying like, this is something that's been around a while, because we've all had days perhaps where we've, we've felt down, but 
for that to linger, there does seem that there's this kind of, we even talked about it in Satan's hand being there, this demonic, yeah. ongoing, uh, oppressive darkness that yeah. lingers. And so I think that's really helpful as we think yeah. about what depression is. I was listening to a tape by Alistair Begg uh, about pastors, pastoral burnout. So it happened to pastors too. And mm-hmm. there was this one young man that was in a very fruitful, energetic ministry and things went through a number of things, uh, went through it very well, a lot of success. And then at, at some point, at one point, he just woke up crying and this went on for days and days where he just had no good reason. He was just overpowered by, by weeping. And uh, those are, that's one of the indications that, that uh, the person's in depression. So with depression defined, at least okay. in a yep. preliminary way for us, how about anxiety? Another word that we've heard gets tossed around. What, how, would, how would we define anxiety? So anxiety, uh, I would say anxiety is a bad use of imagination in which you consider a future threat that may or may not happen. Mm. And it captivates your mind, a worst case scenario that captivates your mind and your emotions. And you're basically already acting as though it's happening, even though mm. there's, there's a good chance it won't even happen. So many of the things we're anxious about never happen. But uh, you see a lot of Jesus' teaching, like in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, not to worry about your life, what you eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. And, you know, being anxious about the future, the things that are going to come in the future. That's what anxiety is. It's a, it's a feeling that seizes you of fear of things that might happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Interesting about anxiety, as I've thought about it, it's exactly the opposite of hope. Um, hope is a strong assurance that the future is bright. Anxiety is this feeling that the future is dark. Hmm. Not quite sure why, but you're, or even you specifically think something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really very dishonoring to God, much as hope is honoring to God. Hmm. That's helpful. Seeing those two in relief is actually, I think, helpful even to define that better for us. And that's great. What kind of fear do you have in mind in this study? Okay, uh, there's some fear that is good, one in particular. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and, and that's something that, that we should, a healthy fear of the Lord is beneficial. You know, Not the kind of fear that leads again, leads again to slavery, as though we are afraid that God will be capricious and not honor his covenant with Christ, and that's, that's dishonoring fear. But basically at, the, at, at Mount Sinai, God said, effectively, fearing me, you need fear nothing else. So if you fear God properly, all other fears go, uh, go aside. So that's, I mean that, all the other fears. Yeah. So fearing everything else. Uh, frequently in the Bible, fear and faith are set in opposition to each other. Like Jairus, when uh, his daughter is sick, Jesus comes, then he finds that his daughter has died. Jesus says, do not fear, just believe. Mm-hmm. So he directly sets fear and faith against, against each other. So I would say it's just uh, that, it's uh, unlike anxiety, it's more of a clear and present danger. Uh, think about the disciples in the boat. Mm-hmm. All right, they're seeing the wind and the waves, and the boat's filling with water. Jesus is asleep, not afraid at all. Yeah. Uh, but they're afraid. They they wake him up, saying, "Don't you care that What's we're about to drown? Don't you yeah. see, Don't you <laughs> see, see our situation?" So I would def- uh, the difference between fear and anxiety is one of them is a clear and present danger, and your re- emotional reaction to that. But specifically, the God dishonoring fear is you're forgetting about God in the middle of mm-hmm. all of that. You got things that are happening, and you're forgetting about God. Think about about uh, the Apostle Paul in what eventually led uh, to the shipwreck in Malta. He was in the middle of a terrible storm for two weeks. No fear. Hmm. 
absolutely confident in God. He did not, I mean, obviously he knows that there's a chance he's going to drown, but then God gives him a promise and he has no fear. He never forgets God in the middle of all that. Mm, that's amazing. And so this conversation, I am really looking forward to it because it helps us deal with some of those aspects of these things where, you know, we have an example like Paul and I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do, but I do sometimes fear, or I do sometimes face anxiety, or perhaps I find myself in a season of depression, yeah. but the Word of God speaks to that and gives us an opportunity to, to deal with those things. Yeah, I think about um, there are individuals we know that even now are going through significant medical issues. You might get a specific diagnosis. So that's a clear and present danger. It's not a theory. This is something you're facing. This is a very serious medical condition. Then you stand at a fork in the road. Will you fear or will you believe? And, and I, you know, it's easy to stand on the outside and say, oh, you should just trust. And it's like, it's hard. Mm -hmm. But that's where the Word of God comes in and teaches us to trust and not fear. So as we've said before, the Word of God obviously is foundational to any discussion we have about any topic as followers of Christ. But also, there are other resources. And yeah. you mentioned a moment ago that you've been reading some in preparation for these conversations. Yeah. What are some resources you've been looking at? So I've got some right here that have been beneficial. I've known about this book for years, and I've read some of it, um, but I'm continuing to work my way through it. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones's Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. Very, very good. And I've been I'm not done with it yet, but uh, I've been leaning on it. Uh, Lloyd-Jones is a Latter-day Puritan, and he has a lot of Puritan in him. This is an actual Puritan. Uh, this is one of these Puritan paperbacks. Uh, this is A Lifting Up for the Downcast by William Bridge. He was a pastor who preached these sermons in 1648, and so he's just directly addressing the issue of spiritual depression. So they actually give similar insights. And then these two books are both by the same author, Edward T. Welsh. This is a little booklet. Now at our church, there's a rack of counseling booklets. So this one's on depression and subtitle is The Way Up When You Are Down. And it's got some good uh, you know, uh, practical guidelines we can talk about, but uh, it's, a, it's a good introduction. And this is a, a longer book that goes into more detail by the same author. This is called Depression looking up from the stubborn darkness mm. and it has a picture you can't probably see it but of a of a staircase down into a dark place maybe a basement with the light out and it goes from very bright light all the way down to a great deal of darkness and you're going down that staircase and you can't seem to get back up so if you would can you give us some basic lessons you've gleaned just as an overview when it comes to battling depression well so much of the battle uh, is speaking truth to yourself speaking mm -hmm. right doctrine uh, to yourself uh, being able to to remind yourself of unshakable truths and the unchanging character of God uh, Edward uh, T Welsh brings um, in his booklet brings through a number of steps he said reestablish a purpose for your life remember that you are here for one overriding purpose, as we all are, and that is the glory of God. We are here to put God on display for the praise of his glory. That's why you're here. So please don't think, I have no purpose to my life. You always have that purpose. Every day has the purpose. I am here today for the glory of God. That, that just helps you get off yourself, and that's a big step toward healing from spiritual depression. He also says, listen to biblical truth that's relevant to your soul and your life condition. So we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Think purposefully and carefully. Don't, don't let your mind wander aimlessly uh, because it's going to go downward into darkness. But think in a disciplined way. 
He also says, ask yourself, do I really want to change? You remember when Jesus healed that man that for decades had been paralyzed and he said, do you want to get well? It's an interesting question. Uh, Do you want to get well? Well, it could be, you know, you're getting a lot of mileage out of being the depressed person. And and you're like, I this is kind of who I've been. This is who I am. Mm. And Jesus, in effect, says, do you want to get well or not? And if you do, I'm here to lift you up and bring you up out. But you got to ask yourself, is that what you want? Do you want to change? Then return again to the central glorious topic, which is who God is, the attributes of God. The fact that God is great and he has done great things for you as a Christian. Christ died for you. He rose again for you. Really, you should be on your face and awe overwhelmed with gratitude. Just know that. It's always true. Mm. And so the greatness of God and of the gospel hasn't changed at all. No matter what cloud or fog you've driven into, he's still glorious. And so just knowing that, I found that really, really helpful. Uh, And then uh, just listen to some degree to the lies that Satan is telling you. What is the depression saying to you? There's ways to listen that are very harmful. You've been doing that. But say, all right, what are they saying? And what is false about the things that they're Mm -hmm. saying, uh, what what the lies are saying to you? Debate with the basic assumptions. Like, I've lost something, something I can't live without. That's not true. There's no physical thing that you could lose in this life that you can't live without. And if you have put so much of yourself on that, that really was to some degree an idol. Or I need something, something that you, you want to get. I could think about a single person who's yearning uh, to, to find a spouse and has become extremely depressed about that. Um, there is a basic lie. I need to have this or I cannot be fulfilled or fruitful in this world. Or I'm angry about something. What's the basic fault in that way that you're looking at that issue? Or I must avoid something, something coming my way. Um, or then woe is me. Mm. You know, no one knows the troubles I've seen. Those kind of things. You know, just analyze what, what is, um, you know, what is, uh, what is Satan saying to you in all of this? You know, it strikes me that in all of that, Satan's age-old scheme is to take lies and mix them with some real or true thing. So a real pain or hurt in your life, but then the lie that maybe you're worthless or God can't rescue you from this or there is no hope for you. And that mixture is, is deadly if we listen to that and believe it. But to ask those questions about some of our basic assumptions in those moments is, I think, really helpful. So both Martin Lloyd-Jones mm-hmm. and William Bridge, yeah. who you mentioned a moment ago, they begin their studies on depression with Psalm 42 and 43. Yeah. Why do they see there, or what do they see there that's helpful for mm-hmm. battling depression? Well, there's a, a verse in there, Fragment. Why don't you read that? Yeah. So in Psalm 42, verses 5 and beginning of 6, it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's so powerful. And what Lloyd-Jones does with it, and William Bridges uses it too, but Lloyd-Jones is so clear. So much of the trouble comes. We're going to talk about this God willing, and maybe next week we'll begin unfolding a lot of these things. We're almost out of time today. But, um, you know, he says, look what the psalmist does. The psalmist talks to himself. Lloyd-Jones says, so much of the trouble and depression is you're listening to yourself. There's like this radio station of depression playing. I'm worthless. Life is awful. Things will never change. You just listen to this. Mm -hmm. It's like elevator music, but it's very depressing. And you're just listening. And he's like, no, I'm not listening to that. Why are you downcast, O soul? He talks to himself. He takes himself in hand Mm -hmm. and he preaches to himself. 
And so I, I think what I'm, I'm saying is if, if any of you that are First Baptist Church members would like to be a preacher, what Lloyd-Jones says, you need to be a preacher. Preach to yourself. Mm. Preach truth to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself yeah. again. Say, why are you downcast? Implying you shouldn't be. Why are you so disturbed within me, oh my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm going to spend eternity praising him in heaven. I'm going to praise him in two minutes. I think I'll start praising him now. You start talking yourself up into doing what you should be doing, which is praising God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's mm. powerful. So Lloyd-Jones talks about causes to spiritual depression, and then the truth of the gospel is foundational to battles against spiritual depression. I wonder if maybe yeah. you can comment on those. Sure. He walks through some things. And we, again, I think we're going to talk more about these maybe even next week. But extreme circumstances. Lloyd-Jones was preaching not long after World War II. Mm. And he said, you know, the things that our generation has just been through are devastating. You think about the things that are going on, COVID-19 and, and some of these race uh, racial riots and all that. It's nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to the Blitz in London mm. or compared to the massive refugee movements, population movements that happened when the Nazis rolled in, the devastation that happened with World War II. You think about that and the economic devastation. I mean, just the leveling of Europe is horrible and tragic. And so just mindful of that extreme circumstances. He also, Lloyd-Jones talks about types of people. There are introverts and extroverts. And some people just as introverts, they tend to be very inwardly reflective. They tend to not just analyze or just or to evaluate themselves to become morbidly interested, introspective. And so therefore, there are just certain types of people that are more geared or more wired towards spiritual depression than other people are. And he said, this is not casting aspersions on them, aspersions on them. Some of the greatest heroes in church history have been wired like this. Charles Spurgeon was like this. Uh, um, uh, I think John Calvin tended in this direction. Uh, other great leaders, certainly David Brainerd, um, had these tendencies. Um, so physical conditions also, illnesses, chronic illness can lead also to depression. You just see no way out. I'm going to be battling this the rest of my life. Satanic oppression, Lloyd-Jones mentions that we've already talked about that. And then a reaction uh, to a significant life experience, even a great blessing. Look at Elijah. He had a tremendous success on Mount Carmel immediately goes into depression shortly thereafter. We're going to talk, I think, God willing, about Elijah very soon. But one thing he says very strongly, Lloyd-Jones, he says, the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. Hmm. Unbelief. So the next chapter, after the first introductory thing, he gets into the gospel. He says, what you need to do, first of all, you need to be certain you're a Christian. You need to know that your sins are forgiven. You need to come to faith in Christ, justified through faith in Christ. But if you are a Christian, you have everything you need to speak peace to your soul. You know, if we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to unfold more in subsequent weeks how the truths of the gospel are everything you need to battle spiritual depression. You know, in all of those situations, I think human emotions play a role. Um, and based on perceived truth sometimes, not even necessarily actual truth, yeah. What is this idea of perceived truth and how does that affect us as we're dealing with these different topics? Yeah, we're reacting to what we think is going on. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So I think very clear example of this are the, are the reactions of various uh, disciples on the morning of the resurrection, on mm -hmm. the first uh, Easter morning, the first resurrection morning. Think about Mary Magdalene outside the tomb. What's she doing? She's weeping. Yeah. She's weeping in front of the empty tomb. Yeah. 
Yeah, not. Okay, that's not the thing to do. <laughs> Mary, do you understand? Okay, this is one of the happiest days. This is probably the happiest day in redemptive history right here. Right here, right now. And it. you are a chosen woman. Of all the women that will have ever lived in the end, you get to look into the empty tomb and, in a moment, you don't know this, but have an encounter with the resurrected Christ. Why are you weeping? That sounds a lot like, why are you downcast, oh my soul? There's mm -hmm. that why question. Mm -hmm. The angels ask her, why are you weeping? Jesus, though she doesn't know it's him, asks, why are you weeping? The two disciples on the road to Emmaus are downcast. They're depressed. We had hoped he was going to be the one. But now our hopes are dashed. And, and Jesus deals with them how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that. Unbelief is at mm -hmm. the root of that. So you've got that, 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 that depression. So it all comes down to what you think is true, not what really is true. Very clear example of this happened in a movie I saw a number of years ago called We Are Marshall. Mm -hmm. And it was about the, it's a true story about a plane crash that killed, mm -hmm. uh, that wiped out the Marshall football program. And then in the movie, Matthew McConaughey comes in as the next coach and builds that back up. Now, in the movie, I don't know if this is true or not, but a, an assistant coach didn't get on the plane and went on a recruiting trip in western uh, uh, West Virginia, something like that. So he's, he's going, he calls his wife to say, I'm not going on the plane. I'll be home in a few days. Doesn't get her. They didn't have answering machines. This is back in 1970. So he calls the neighbor lady. Said, will you please tell my wife I'm not getting on the plane. I'm, I'm going to be home in a couple of days. She forgets to tell her. Oh, plane crashes. Mm. The wife it crashes right there in, you know, where Marshall University, you know, so she goes, she sees the wreck. No, no survivors. So she believes her husband is dead and accordingly reacts. Her emotions react mm. and she weeps like a widow. She thinks about her children losing their father. This is all in her mind. You would imagine it's reasonable, but it's not true. Mm. Her emotions are based on a falsehood. Now, she will grieve over her lost friends and all that, but she doesn't need to grieve over a dead husband. That's not true. Mm. So it is a time for weeping, but not that kind of weeping. And so what I, what I think is happening is we've got to re- establish spiritual truth in our hearts so that our emotions then come back in line. The head leads, the heart follows. And so what is the truth here? And then our, my emotions lined up with that. That's really helpful. You know, I think a great place for us to end uh, our time together today would be, uh, you know, you wrote a book on contentment recently. And I think about the connections between contentment and battling yeah. depression and anxiety and fear. Maybe let's land the plane there. What's yeah. the connection? How could contentment help us in this fight? Well, it's going to be a great topic, I think, for the next few weeks because I have a lot of thoughts about Christian contentment. But what I find is common between them is the, a robust doctrine of providence. We mm -hmm. believe that God's at work, that nothing's happening accidentally. God knows what he's doing. If he's bringing sorrow, if he's bringing affliction, he's bringing trial, it has a purpose. He has a good purpose for us. Mm -hmm. And so Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation because he knows that God is at work, that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, that Christ is enough, that God is enough, and that God's at work. So those basic lessons of Christian contentment uh, will be very powerful, and we'll unfold that more in the weeks to come, God willing. That's great. Andy, would you pray for us as we close our time? Lord, thank you for this time that Wes and I have had to talk about this topic of, of depression and anxiety and fear and how the gospel and the truth of the gospel can empower us to battle uh, these mental states and overcome them and be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Mm -hmm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.